Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Welcome to all of you online, as well as welcome to every one of you here. Um, I'm going to just kind of dive in because we've, uh, we're coming to the end of our series on Psalm 23. And today as we begin, I, I, I want to kind of do something a little bit different for you. I want you to kind of uh, stop everything just completely stop everything for a moment because I want you to do a little visualization thing here. I want you to close your eyes right now. Just close your eyes, whether you're here or at home. Close your eyes and picture your morning so far. Okay? The alarm went off. The coffee. The spill. The kids. The rush. The conversations that you've already had or lack thereof. The trip the door, the people, the cinnamon buns, the chair you're in right now. Have you got it? You got the picture of your morning so far? Okay, now, figuratively, I know you can open your eyes now here. I know some of you are more visually oriented, so if you just have to do this, go ahead, but otherwise, figuratively turn around, look back on your day so far, and see what followed you in here this morning? What is it? Oh, you may not want to see it, and it may not want to see you, but it's there all right. You hoped that it stayed home or out in the car, giving you a little respite, a little break. Give me one hour, you said, and then you can jump back on my back again. But no, it's still following you. They are sneaky, these things that get on your tail. They lurk in the shadows, they hide in the doorways. They prefer not to be seen or exposed. They prefer to wait in ambush or lambush for you. What followed you in here today? Perhaps it's a recent attachment, something harsh you said this morning, something that just kind of latched onto you today. You're tired because you stayed up late. You're dreary. Perhaps there are deeper and darker things tailing you this morning. Guilt over something you've done is following you like a dark shadow. Work that never seems to get done threatens to catch up to you and swallow you whole and all your time. Worry that you won't be able to provide for your family like you should is just tagging along behind. Fear that today is as good as it's ever going to get is biting at your heels. But what if you didn't need to fear or worry about any of those things. As we have looked at each of the verses through Psalm 23, we have seen that David has described for us the shepherd who protects and provides us with rest, refreshment, restoration on the trail. You've had, even as we've talked about that through this series, you've had this uncomfortable feeling that something is trailing you. We've learned that the shepherd is the one who comforts us when we face the uncertainties of life and guides us to keep us on the track. But still, you've had this uneasy thought that something is tracking you. And you know what? You're absolutely right. They are right behind you. In fact, they're pursuing you. One of the most common nightmares that people have is the fear of being chased. I suspect if I asked, and I won't, if I, for a show of hands, many of you would say, yeah, I've had that dream, something pursuing me, chasing me. When we mention these words, sometimes it, you know, it brings up bad connotations, right? 
the police pursuit, being chased after for a bill payment, being caught in something wrong, a rabid dog, a ferocious bear. In fact, what the real fear is, is the fear of that which we can't identify, the fear of the unknown. What might happen? What might be tailing us? What if whatever it is catches up to us? A lot of people spend their lives worrying about tomorrow and never enjoy today. Why? Because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and that takes us to places of anxiety. Yet David, as he concludes this psalm, changes his language once again, now to the future tense, and he says, I'm not worried, not even a little bit. So far in this psalm, we've been focusing on the sheep, following the shepherd, but now we discover that there is indeed something following the sheep. I'm going to ask you to stand and let's read through the entire Psalm 23 right now together, if you would. Okay, all in one voice. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And sum it up with surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Please have a seat again. It's all summed up in that last verse. David builds to it to the end, and then surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a wonderfully simple but very brave statement, isn't it? It's bold. Can't you just hear the confidence there? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What David is saying is, what if you were able to exchange the terrible fears that you think are behind you for the protection that the Good Shepherd offers. And you had new eyes to look behind you and see what was actually following you as one of his flock. As you follow along behind him and you're under his care. See, this isn't only a brave, bold statement. It's actually a kind of boast as well. It's a boast about the shepherd. I have complete confidence in my shepherd. He will never ever let me down. What if then you actually found out that the things that are pursuing you are good things? Things that are a part of the shepherd's strategy to protect you from behind, from the back, and keep you from getting lost. Wouldn't that give you a whole new kind of confidence? Wouldn't that give you a sheep thrill? Where do you get that kind of confidence? By placing your trust completely in the good shepherd. David says, if you're one of the good shepherd sheep, there are three reasons why you don't need to fear the future. And he lays them out for us. Because the shepherd is watching over me, the shepherd's hand. Because his grace is working in me, the shepherd's heart. Because his home is waiting for me, the shepherd's haven. Let's start with the shepherd's hand. So let's dive in and look at some of the richness in the language David uses here, and it's rich. And to do it justice, we almost have to go word by word 
I'll try and not do that, but we'll spend a fair bit of time in that kind of process. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It reminds me of a father and son having a conversation on the way home from church after the kids' men lesson had been on this very verse, Psalm 23, 6. The father was asking, so what did you learn today, son? And the boy responded, well, I found out that I have to be careful about what's following me. Well, that's very interesting, said the dad. What do you take from that? Well, I know goodness and mercy are from God, and that's good, but I'm not so sure about Shirley. Surely and will are two great words here. David doesn't say maybe, perhaps, if you're lucky, goodness and mercy might follow you. He doesn't even say if you're decent, fair, morally upright, goodness and mercy will follow you. He says surely they will, and here is the key thing. It depends not upon you, but upon the promise and unchanging nature of the shepherd, the Lord himself. Every so often, we're going to kind of come up with some, some, some kind of wisdom sayings here as we go along, and they'll just kind of stick out there. Kind of, could kind of fit them into the outline, but you'll see them when they show up. The key thing to remember is depend, we, it, all of this depends not upon anything we can produce, but on the very promise and unchanging nature of the shepherd, the Lord himself. The Hebrew word translated surely here is really an interesting word. In fact, it's hardly a word. The biblical Hebrew text, you see, had no punctuation marks in it, like exclamation points, for instance. So when recording everything down in print, as they wrote it, scrolled it out, they had no punctuation marks to emphasize anything. They, 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 they would choose then what options were open to them, which was to repeat words like truly, truly, or verily, verily, or holy, holy. They would repeat words instead of what we would do is just put an exclamation point. And then they would also come up with words or, or some kind of a, a, a word phrase that would also be like, pay attention! Right? And surely is one of these words. Surely is one of these words. Although it serves as an adverb here, surely is an almost untranslatable word that actually functions more like a series of exclamation points. If you were able to actually just kind of put it into, into the language that it really reflects, instead of surely, just put like five or six exclamation points at the start of the sentence. Look at this! Goodness and mercy will follow me, right? It's just that exclamation point. David wanted to bring emphasis to the fact that he had 100% confidence that goodness and mercy would pursue him because that wasn't dependent on who he was or what he did. It was dependent, as I've said, on the result and the character and the very nature of God himself. And as David looked back on his life, it was obvious that it wasn't a bed of roses all of the time. Surely it's easy to say, no matter what happens, we're being followed by goodness and mercy when everything is going along smoothly with our health, with our finances, with our relationships. But it's a completely different story when that's not the case, isn't it? When the diagnosis and the prognosis aren't positive, when the job ends, when the bills are due, when there's tension in the family, what do we say about goodness and mercy then? About the care and security of the shepherd then? 
when your world is falling apart or your dreams and hopes are fading, even crumbling, how about then? Then can we say like David, even, frankly, declare, surely, 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 goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David suffered through many trials and failures, and he knew the pain of loss and betrayal, and yet here he declares with as strong a language as he can possibly do that he is without a doubt in full confidence in God. And it has been so far in his life completely justified. Over the whole, completely justified. This is the environment of trust that exists in the sheep's relationship with the shepherd. This is not a rosy, romantic, optimistic, maybe head-in-the-sand view of life, but rather one built on the foundations of intimate connection with and following after the good shepherd. Then it goes on to goodness. Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. We just sang about that. Did you mean it? Your goodness is running after me? Your goodness is running after me? Because God is good, I can expect his protection and provision, his hand to follow me. I can expect that no matter what happens to me, God will bring out good of it somehow. Of course, not everything that comes our way is good. There's nothing good about cancer and other diseases, and sicknesses, for instance. The truth of the matter is, there is two other sources at work here. The Bible is very clear that just like there are enemies for sheep, that the sheep must make their journey through we have an enemy whose strategy is to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the source of all our doubts about God's goodness. He is the one behind the deceit that assails us every day. He tempts us to disobey God, and if we succumb, he has the nerve then to allay enormous guilt on us for having done it in the first place, thus denying God's unfailing forgiveness. He wants to make us guilty about the past, anxious about the present, and fearful about the future. He's the one that slinks into our thoughts to tell us that there is someone or something more trustworthy than God, to try to meet our needs on our own instead of trusting in the shepherd's promised provision. His mission, simply put, is to draw us away from the leading of the shepherd, to draw a sheep away from the flock and the protection of the shepherd by offering tempting alternatives that promise everything and deliver nothing. And eventually, we're left alone and defenseless. The other enemy, well, that's us, folks. Satan doesn't work in a vacuum. Without the shielding that being close to the shepherd provides, we can and do give free reign to every rebellious thought that comes along. We walk through a dirty, messy, often vile world that we have made in our own disobedience to God. And sometimes in walking through that muck, some of it sticks to us. In the midst of the suffering that results, we sometimes fall prey to the question that if God is so good and loving, why did this happen? We never think about our choices having any part to play in that. Our actions, our decisions, how we got there in the first place. We think God should work from our definitions, from what we think is good, which is totally subjective to every single one of us here and every single one watching. If we define good, there'd be that many definitions. 
We like to think from our own definitions. We like to think that God owes us a flower-strewn pathway all our lives through because of the sacrifices we've made for him. Can we just stop for a moment here? Who are we kidding? We're sheep. We've already established that we're sheep, like it or not. We can't look after ourselves. We follow other sheep. We follow other voices. We can't see ahead. We don't really make any sacrifice. What sacrifice compared to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for all? Any parent knows that our children also try these moves on us, don't they? They redefine what is fair. How many times have you heard, that's not fair? They redefine what is fair based on whatever is going to work out for them for the best. Every child thinks that they know best what is good for them. Do we go along thinking that they're right? Is it good for them for us to do that? No. We get this. No. Do they like it at the time and say, thank you for being a good mother or a good father? No. But we know it's for their good. But out of love, we know and, and we try at least at our very best to know what is good for them because we love them, because we have their well-being at heart. Because they're our children. They can hardly look after themselves. They follow their peers without a second thought. They're motivated by immediately satisfaction. They just want it now. What they perceive as an urgent, life-threatening need could be a snack 15 minutes after they just had lunch. We know this. And rather, we want what is good for them, not by their definition, but by a higher standard. It's the same way with God. God will work to bring out of whatever circumstance comes into our lives good. It will either be for my own good, or for the good of other people, or for the good of his kingdom. God is a good God. There is no other option. There is no and. God is good. He knows no other way. He is completely and perfectly good. As Jesus said with utter finality, no one is good except God alone. But just like a father, the Lord watches over all who love him. God cares about the details of your life. Like a father, he will provide for you in the future. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds it, don't we? We know God is in control and God loves you and wants to help you. He says, I will watch over you. Surely goodness will follow. What does he mean by that? Obviously, David had disappointments in life. Not everything good happened to him. He's not saying, surely only good things are ever going to happen to me, because that's not true. Bad things happen to good people. He's not saying, only good things are going to happen. He's saying, goodness will follow. Good things will come out of whatever happens, even the bad, the evil, the difficult. God will ensure that God that good will come out. It will follow whatever happens to David. The great promise that God has given to his flock is that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. This is not a promise for everybody. All things do not work together for good for everybody in the world. It doesn't work that way for those who are not following the shepherd's path who are not his sheep. But if you're one of his sheep, the Bible says all things are working together for good. Not all things are good, but working together to make good come of it, to follow 
it. That's what it means when it says, goodness will follow me. There's no difficulty, no dilemma, no defeat, no disaster in the life of a follower of the good shepherd that ultimately God won't bring good out of it. Eventually, he'll bring good out of it somehow. It's his promise. It's who he is. Even as one of his sheep, sometimes it's difficult to see God's goodness when we're going through a tragedy, isn't it? There are times when you don't feel like God is good. You don't feel his mercy. Sometimes you feel like God's goodness is hidden. The key word, of course, there that I emphasized is feel. Feelings are always subjective. I have a favorite verse for this. It's called Camp Granada. Hello, Mata. Hello, Fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining, and they say we'll have some fun when it stops raining. I went hiking with Joe Spivey. He developed poison ivy. You remember Leonard Skinner. He got food poisoning last night after dinner. All the counselors hate the waiters. All the lake has alligators. No, I don't want this should scare you, but my bunkmate has malaria. You remember Jeffrey Harder, Hardy, sorry. They're about to organize a searching party. Take me home, oh Mata Fada. Take me home, I hate Granada. Don't leave me out in the forest where I might get eaten by a bear. Take me home, I promise I will not make noise or mess the house with other boys. Oh, please don't make me stay. I've been here one whole day. Dearest father, darling mother, how's my precious little brother? Let me come home if you miss me. I would even let Aunt Bertha hug and kiss me. Wait a minute. It stopped hailing. Guys are swimming. Guys are sailing. Playing baseball. Gee, that's better. Mother, father, kindly disregard this letter. We're so fickle, aren't we? Here's a truism for you. Feelings are fickle. Don't base your decisions. Don't base your faith. Don't base your future. Don't base your eternity on fickle feelings that change like the weather. Our call as sheep is to obey the shepherd even when it doesn't make sense. It's only later, looking back, that we can see God's goodness was following along behind. God's blessing was coming, and he was working for our good. Paul was put falsely in prison in Rome. Was that good? No. He was kept a prisoner in Rome. He was chained. While he was there, he wrote some books that we now call most of the New Testament. Goodness followed. Goodness followed after his imprisonment. We have the New Testament because of Paul's imprisonment. Today we're benefiting from Paul's problem, from his pain, from his difficulty. Goodness follows. And think about the fact that 24-7 he was chained to another person. Is that good? Well, on the surface, no. But think about having a captive audience. Paul, 24-7, had a captive audience. I can't help but think those guards were changed. How about you? Goodness follows. It's a simple but powerful truth. God is good all the time. You can't believe God is blessing you if at the same time you believe he's cursing you. Our good shepherd says, I'll watch over you. One thing you can count on, I will always be with you through adversity. Not only that, I can bring good out of evil. That is thrilling. Not only goodness will follow you, 
but mercy will follow you all the days of your life. The shepherd's heart. David's word for mercy is about so much more than mercy as we come to know it today. Mercy is a part of what encompasses all of the Lord's tender affection for his sheep, for us. In the ancient world, it was used to mean love that flows, love that flows out of passion, love that flows out of deep emotion rather than because I'm supposed to. It's a kind and gentle love, and for that reason, quite often is translated even elsewhere in the Bible as loving kindness. Loving kindness. It's the way God thinks of himself. He uses the same word when he describes himself to Moses in Exodus. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Same word there. Love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. In fact, David quotes that exact phrase twice in Psalm 86 and, six and Psalm 103. Titus uses that phrase as well. It's intended that we understand that God's goodness and love are linked together as inseparable components of our shepherd's gracious care for us. The Psalms are filled with this affirmation. I trust in your unfailing love. I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. That phrase is repeated eight times in Psalm 118 and 25 times in Psalm 136. What does that look like? Psalm 103 tells us. He fills my life with good things. He is merciful and tender towards those who don't deserve it. He is slow to get angry. He never bears a grudge. He has not punished us as we deserve for our sins. He is like a father to us, tender and sympathetic to those who reverence him. All good. His loving kindness, like goodness, follows us in life. Picture a parent following a little child around, picking up after them. God is, God is always following around, uh, behind us, constantly picking up our messes, failures, mistakes we made, things we got out of order, and then blithely we've just gone on to the next thing. He's always there. God is behind us, picking it all up, putting it back together, working it all out, taking care of the messes, treating us all the while like it never happened. We'll follow all the days of my life. Not some of the days, all the days. God doesn't turn his goodness and his love on and off. He doesn't go, well, I think maybe today goodness, tomorrow not so much. He doesn't treat you nice one day and the next day treat you badly. All the days of my life, I'll have good God's goodness and God's mercy because of what Jesus has done all the days of my life. Remember Palm Sunday when Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey in preparation for the Passover festival. It turned into a parade. He was welcomed by throngs of people that we've talked about, waving palm branches, cheering him on as their long-awaited and promised king. I'm sure that throng of people filled in behind him just like it does at the end of a parade, right? Everybody just kind of falls in behind, and they were all following him into Jerusalem. Can't you just see it? From atop the donkey looking back, Jesus being followed by this mass of supporting people, wishing him goodness, showing him love. How quickly that changed. The fickleness of man. When they discovered that the freedom that he was offering was of an eternal and internal nature, in response to that, they turned on him. What looked like goodness and love following him was anything but. 
Within a week, he was falsely accused and put to horrible death. Was that good? No. Goodness and mercy, goodness and loving kindness followed, though, didn't it? Jesus rose from the dead, conquered the final enemy that has tailed us since the beginning of time, and instead placed his own shepherders, goodness and love, at our back. Today, there are not words for us to describe the goodness and love this single sacrificial act has brought into each and every one of our lives. You're going to experience many different kinds of days in life, obviously. Happy, sad, sick, depressing, lonely, difficult, joyful. That's why we fear the future. We don't know what's going to happen. But you will never face a day. Let me say that again. You will never face a day without God's goodness and love with you if you've given your life over to Jesus as your shepherd. He will be with you all the time. That's the promise. It stands on the very character of who he is. Some days you won't feel it. Some days you won't see God's mercy and grace, and it may be hard to determine where it is, but surely, certainly, without a doubt, God's goodness and love are going to be there even in the tough times in your future. God will be with you. God's goodness will take care of the good days. God's loving kindness takes care of the bad days, all of the seasons of life. How can you be so sure? Because God doesn't lie, because God fulfills his promise, because God cannot tell an untruth or even be un inconsistent. He never changes. He never breaks a promise. If he says, surely goodness and loving kindness, which are dependent on his character and his activity, will be with you all the days of your life, you can bank on it. They will. See, it's because of these qualities, because of who he is, that we follow the shepherd and not what he can give us in return. See, we can, even in the goodness, we can start to get this twisted. We can start to think that, you know, I should follow the shepherd because goodness is going to come after me, instead of just simply knowing that our, our duty, our love, is to just follow the shepherd and what comes behind comes behind. Sheep don't evaluate the shepherd's benefit plan before they join the flock. Oh, so let's see. What are the pros? What are the cons before I choose to follow the shepherd? They know the shepherd. They know the shepherd, and they follow. Why? Because he is good. He is love. He is God. There's blessings, to be sure, that come as we stay close to the shepherd, but those come as a result of our choosing to follow, not the other way around. We get so worked up and worried about the future because we start doing the what-if game, right? What if that happens? Just suppose. There's no supposing in the Bible. It just says, surely, exclamation point. We go to the future not with a question mark, but with an exclamation point. Do you look to the future with a question mark or with an exclamation point? Stop supposing and start reposing in it. Relax, trust. God will be with you no matter what happens. He will be there for you. He will help. God's goodness will provide and protect. God's love will pardon and forgive. God's goodness will supply. God's love will soothe. God's goodness will help. God's love will heal. This is a psalm about shepherding. The Lord is my shepherd. You lead sheep, but you drive cattle. 
You just kind of get behind them and keep shouting at them and hope they kind of head in the general direction you want them to go. But you lead sheep. Sheep are led from the front. The shepherd is in front of the flock. He leads. The sheep follow. If you were to go to the Middle East and see a shepherd with a flock of sheep, you'll see a shepherd at the front and all of the sheep kind of lining up and following behind him. But behind them, you will see one or two sheepdogs at the rear, keeping them in line, keeping them bunched together. Goodness and love are like divine sheepdogs. They're following behind. The word for follow that David uses here means to pursue closely, keeping us moving, keeping us in line, keeping us safe, keeping us bunched together, keeping us close to the shepherd, goodness and mercy holding us from straying so we don't get lost. Goodness and mercy. Why would I leave goodness and mercy? No way. I'm staying in the flock. Once you're in your flock, you don't get out of it because those heavenly sheepdogs are keeping you in it. Goodness and love keep you in the flock. When you have goodness and love in your life, you don't have need or to fear anything at all. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the shepherd's haven. A little girl was asked, <clears throat> excuse me, one day if she knew where the Lord lived. She said, absolutely I do. Yes, I know where the Lord lives. The Lord lives in our bathroom. The Sunday school teacher said, whatever, whatever would make you think that. And the child responded, well, every single Sunday morning, I hear Daddy banging on the bathroom door and hollering, good Lord, are you still in there? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And, and, if that wasn't good enough, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's one of the most important connections in the Bible, that little three-letter word, and. It connects yesterday, today, with tomorrow. God says, I've got this great life plan for you, and surely goodness and mercy will follow you through it. But that's not the end. There's an end. I've got something else at the end. And he builds it to this great crescendo. David ends this psalm by saying, we're going to heaven. That's the deal here. Jesus saves the best for last. With God, it just keeps getting better and better and better. The best is still yet to come, David says. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. How long is forever going to last? Forever, right? Someday your body is going to die, but you don't. Your body is going to end, but that's not the end of you. You're going to live forever in one of two places, with God or in hell. They are both real places. You will spend eternity in heaven and eventually the new earth or hell because we were made to last forever. Therefore, we as a sheep are not sheepish about the future at all. We're not timid. We're actually, when you think about it, the most confident sheep, the most confident people about the future. We actually look forward with confidence to our heavenly bodies, realizing that every moment we spend in these earthly bodies is time spent away from our eternal home in heaven with Jesus, and we are not afraid, but are quite content to die, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Death then 
as far as Paul was concerned, is a transfer. Maybe, even better put, a promotion. It's on to better things. The best is yet to come. No more problems. Everything goes wrong here. Nothing goes wrong there. You're not ready to live until you're ready to die, he might say. You don't know how to live until you're ready to die. Only a fool would go through all of life totally unprepared for something that everybody knows is inevitable. You're going to die someday. If we have accepted Christ, we're going to go to heaven to be with him, and when he returns to the new earth, the best is yet to come. In this life, we have love and forgiveness and God's goodness to guide us, but we will never be completely whole. There will always be an inner sense of homesickness that will linger until we actually get to the home that was designed for us in the first place, our eternal home. Imagine a place where you're going to be rewarded for your faithfulness to God and your obedience to Jesus. Imagine a place where you're going to be reunited with loved ones who know the Lord. Imagine a place where you're going to be reassigned work to do that you love to do on the new earth. It will be something you really enjoy doing based on how God made you. Can you imagine the God who created windsurfing and snowboarding and biking and fishing. You're going to get to heaven and it'll be like with, with no broken bones, no throwing your back out, no fish that got away maybe. You th I guess we'd have to actually be honest about the size then, wouldn't we? You think of all the things you can do here on earth that are cool, that are fun, that fill you up, that give you energy, that just spur you on. Just wait. Just wait until you get to heaven. You won't even have anything to ever complain about. It will just be that 24-7. We're going to be released from pain, from sorrow, from suffering, from depression, from fear. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, all of that gone forever. Doesn't that make you a little homesick for home, for heaven? It's home for people who say, God, I want to be your child. I want to follow you. God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God, in his mighty power, will make sure that you get there safely to receive it because you are trusting him. Everybody is created by God, but not everybody is a child of God. You only become a child of God when you recognize your hopeless estate as a defenseless sheep who has gone astray and ask him to forgive you, to be your shepherd instead, and to put you into his flock, his family. Earth is the warm-up act here, people. This isn't the big deal. This isn't the end. This isn't the, the, the major thing to look forward to. You're going to spend some years here on earth, but you'll spend thousands, millions, trillions of years in eternity. This is the appetizer. This is kindergarten. This is the opening act. The problem is we act like this is all there is to life. All that's going on here and now. This is all that matters. No, it behooves me to tell you this. All this is just preparation. All this is warm-up. Our worship is just practice. It's just practice for the big event where you're going to spend all of eternity. The best is yet to come. You are only visitors here. Your real home is in heaven.
Don't invest your life in things. Getting things is not the goal of life. Getting prepared for heaven is. For we actually are living in the land of the dying. What are we looking forward to? Going to the land of the living. Going to the land of the living. How do you do it? In this day and age, right now, by building character, growing in relationship with Jesus. That's, that's what you're going to take with you. You're not taking any of your money, your cars, your stereos, your homes. Don't buy into the world system. Don't live on a superficial level. Live life deeply in light of eternity. Realize you're not going to be here forever, but you are going to be in eternity forever. The amazing thing, the mind-boggling thing, is that God gives us the choice. He gives every single one of us the choice of where we will spend eternity. And he says, you need to make that choice now. And I just beg you, whether you're here or watching at home, choose life. Choose life. Choose the Lord as your shepherd. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one, not a single one, will be snatched out of my hand. Jesus says, my sheep listen to me and they follow me. Are you doing that? As we wrap up Psalm 23, are you following? Are you listening to what God says to you to do with your life? Are you following the shepherd? Is he your shepherd and your savior? If you say, yes, I'm listening to God and I'm trying to let him lead my life, letting Jesus be my savior, I know I'll never get to heaven on my own and I'm trusting him, then you can say, like David, with absolute confidence, surely I know I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell. Not I might, not I wonder if, I know I'm going to heaven because I've done what the Bible says that I should do. When you give your life to Christ, when you put your hand in his hand, God holds on to it. He grasps it. There are times when you're going to want to let go of his hand. It's just, it's just inside of us somewhere. Like, yeah, I think I'll do this on my own. You're going to want a relationship that you know is wrong. You're going to want to read something or look at something that you know is wrong. You know that there's an unethical decision in front of you. There are things that God says do not do, and there's part of you that wants to let go of his hand and do them. You're just going to want to let go. But God says, I'm never going to let go of you. He says, you're in my hand and no one can snatch you away from my hand. It's not up to you or I. Our, ours is to do the trusting. He does the keeping. We do the trusting. And he won't let go. When you face the future, what do you see behind you? What do you see trailing you? Do you see cynicism and pessimism? Are you expecting the worst? You have two choices. You can either face the future as a cynic, a doubter with negative thoughts, expecting the worst always, or you can face the future expecting our good shepherd to be with us and his goodness and his love to follow you all the days of your life. It is, it is amazing how much better life gets when you start to actively look for God's goodness around you and God's loving kindness in every experience. It'll change your life. It will just change your life when you know the best is yet to come.